This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Fathering Project podcast. Kathy Gapaya here and today I'm really pleased to be joined by a very special guest, the Honourable Dr Tony Booty, the West Australian Minister for Finance, Lands, Sport and Recreation, Citizenship and Multicultural Interests. That's a big portfolio, Tony. It certainly is. Keeps me busy. It certainly would, yeah. Um, Tony has been a minister for the McGowan government since March of 2021 and has been the member for Armadale since 2010. Prior to becoming a minister, he worked as a high school teacher, lawyer, AFL player agent and legal academic. Um, Tony has also written many books, articles and publications, and his most recent book, Alkira, tells the story of his daughter's diagnosis of Kridusha syndrome and the journey for Alkira and their family. Um, Tony is obviously a very hardworking husband and father of three, and we're absolutely grateful to have him join us today. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much um, for your time. Now, you've recently published a book about your beautiful daughter, Alkira, who was born with the rare genetic disorder, Kriduscha syndrome. Can you tell us a little about the syndrome, what its, its major impacts are and how you came to discover it had affected Alkira? Yeah. Look, uh, so Kira had a, a pretty traumatic birth, uh, but that obviously had no relationship to the uh, syndrome itself. Um, so anyway, she was born, um, you know, uh, the normal uh, tests were done straight after birth, um, appeared to be at the low end, but nothing really uh, that was alarming because um, it was a traumatic birth. Then um, obviously... Um, you know, my wife Mandy would take her to the normal uh, testing that happens in the first year or so. Um, the uh, the community nurse said, "Yeah, a little bit below, a little bit behind, but nothing to be concerned about." But after about a year and a bit, we noticed that she wasn't seemed to making any progress about crawling or even walking. And then, so what she did do, she would roll over. So she would move from A to B, but just rolling over, which she did very quickly. Anyway, she started crawling, but she, on her second birthday, she still was not walking. And that really, I think Mandy and I had been dense around the issue. And then we finally thought, well, we've got to go and see about this. So she was, a, we took her to a pediatrician and um, who said, well, let's do some tests. He did some tests at his surgery, um, said, yeah, a little bit behind, looks about six months behind, but there's great variation at that age. Uh, he said, but look, let's just to cover all bases, let's do some blood tests. <clears throat> so um, he said, look, do the blood tests. If there's no issue, uh, I won't call you back, but there is obviously, I'll ring you. And then Two weeks later, I was at work uh, practicing as a lawyer at the Aboriginal Legal Service. I got a call from Mandy, said that the doctor, the paediatrician wanted to see us. Uh, went there, but then we already had uh, a, another uh, child, uh, Paris, who uh, was nearly three months old. Anyway, went to the doctor and um, 
he gave us the news, uh, which is obviously incredibly devastating. And in regards to the syndrome itself, uh, you know, when we asked him about it, obviously we'd never heard of it. Uh, he said it's very rare. And then when we asked him about the uh, prognosis, he looked at his textbook, looked like a pretty old textbook, and said, oh, look, you know, it's going to be a variation in developments, but it's going to be intellectual and physical developments will be affected and that probably wouldn't be expected to reach beyond an intellectual age of a five-year-old. So obviously, you know, that was uh, devastating. And um, then we had to go and have some more tests just to recheck. And um, then the journey started. That must have been one of the hardest, hardest days of your lives. It, well, that 24 hours was definitely the hardest. Uh, so after we found out from the doctor, which was like late afternoon, went home, spoke to our respective parents. Next day, went and had the, had the blood tests again. And then we went down to a place called Fremantle. And um, obviously the saddest day of my life when after being on the swings with our Kira, I was, I was uh, carrying our Kira in my arms and saw a group of school kids walking, uh, enjoying life and uh, was thinking, you know, that my daughter would never have that opportunity. That's so, so hard for you and Mandy. Um, have you found that over the years that um, diagnosis has brought you closer together as a family? Oh, look, I think so, especially in that initial period where really Mandy and I thought, you know, we really, while we had our parents, uh, really, it was just her and I, you know, her and I and our Kira, and of course, we had a little Paris with us. Um, because people, you know, I think people were trying to be nice and so forth, but no one really understood what we're going through. And also, it was just incredibly, incredible amount of uncertainty because we didn't know how Akira was going to develop. Uh, but we certainly, uh, you know, talked a lot and hugged a lot and cried a lot and so forth. And uh, But, you know, the real champion uh, really is Mandy because she, um, for the next couple of years, uh, the amount of therapies and intervention programs that Akira underwent were uh, quite amazing and I um, you know Akira's developed now she turns she actually turns 28 this coming Friday um, and um, you know she's developed into an absolutely wonderful wonderful person and um, has developed beyond a, a five-year-old intellectual age I can assure you. Oh, fantastic. You must be very proud of her and her achievements 28. That's wonderful. Um, Tony, in the book, you talk about some of the challenges you and your family faced as the parents of a child with additional needs. Can you share what the biggest challenges were for you and how you overcame them? Yeah, look, I think the biggest cha challenge is the is attitudinal, the, the attitudes of society, uh, whether you look at it from uh, people and look, and I would probably put myself in that category unless you've experienced it's it's very difficult to know sometimes how to interact with people that have disabilities particularly intellectual impairments um i think you know some people just uh, avoided us or made statements that were quite uh, patronizing but not necessarily meaning to be patronizing but i, I suppose the real battle commenced in in school when akira went to primary school and um, how some teachers, overall, uh, her primary school was a really good education, but we had to keep forcing the issue and we had to 
always be advocating that Akira didn't miss out and needed the extra support. And, you know, it becomes tiring and speaking to other parents of uh, children with uh, intellectual disabilities, it's just the constant grind and you just become the fatigue that sets in. And not just at the school, you know, going to play sport and so forth. So I think there's a lack of over, there's not enough support for not one thing. And also uh, there is just an attitudinal uh, issue that we need to overcome and where and also the thing advocation of uh, the rights of people with disability has it has improved no doubt has improved over the 28 years but uh, it still doesn't receive the same amount of community discourse as say um, discrimination in other areas yeah absolutely and there's um the labeling is very difficult to to deal with and um you know, you're trying to come out of that labelling. Did Alkiri go to a mainstream school or to a special needs school? No, in primary school, she went, she had, she was in uh, a normal class, well, a so-called normal classroom, you know, so what's normal, but anyway, with an aide, uh, an educational assistant who she had throughout her preschool and primary school, so uh, Clemmy Smith, who she therefore had for eight or nine years. Then when she went to high school, she was at a, she was in a special ed unit within a normal, within a high school, bigger high school. So basically, pastoral care and some other areas were done in the mainstream classroom and then the special ed unit for the rest of the education. I love how the book um, also aims to challenge the reader to rethink how we approach disability so we can really move towards a more inclusive society and not label and exclude. Yeah. I, look, that's the other thing I probably should have, uh, when you asked me that question before, is the issue of labelling. Uh, once we once we know someone is has a disability, whether it's physical or intellectual, but particularly intellectual, is people look at the disability and what they can't do rather than looking at their capacity. And there's an untapped capacity among people with disabilities that... Uh, you know, not only from a social human rights perspective needs to be looked at and encouraged, but even from an economic perspective, the capacity of uh, people with disabilities is incredibly underestimated. So what I really want is for someone to look at that individual and work out what are their capacities rather than looking at that individual with a label disability and saying what they can't do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a place in Silicon Valley that is a workplace and the only people who work there are people with autism. Oh, wow. Gee. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would be, uh, that. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Well, obviously autism, though, um, it's a wide spectrum and, um, you know, many people with autism have achieved uh, incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what they've done. They've found, um, you know, the specific abilities of people with that particular disability. And um, in fact, it's more of an ability in the work that they do than yeah. a disability. And they've worked with that. So it would be great to have that everywhere. On a more personal level, Tony, what has been the most difficult part of this journey for you as, as her father? Yeah. Look, that's a difficult question to answer. But if I... Ah, uh, look, obviously, you know, while I'm champion my daughter and I'm champion people with disabilities, there is no getting away from the fact that it is difficult. And sometimes, you know, I haven't been able to have the conversations 
that I've had with my two boys. So, and obviously, you know, relationship between daughters and fathers can be incredibly special, and ours is very, very special. But at times, I've often wondered you know, what would it be like to have a, a conversation, a so-called normal conversation, whatever that may be. And the, but the, the thing, I just get very sad when I look at her limited circle of friends. Uh, you know, she's such a beautiful, kind-hearted individual who should have more friends. Uh, I mean, everyone that comes in contact with her loves her, but as, as far as having friends, it's limited. And just, I, I think the most difficult thing is to ensure that I give her enough time and the, uh, the attention that I've given them. You know, I, I will honestly say that um, at times I've given the boys more attention than I've given our Kira. And um, it's hard. That's the most difficult thing to ensure that I give Akira enough attention and that um, I also engage in her conversations that she wants to engage in, but maybe are completely out of the blue and, um, you know, maybe not necessarily always make sense, but uh, that's what she's thinking and that's her world and I should engage in that. Did you find it more difficult to relate to other fathers as Alkira was growing up, fathers who didn't have children with a disability? Well, look, probably that would have been more of a case if that if Akira was my only child. Uh, but obviously, in the sense that I couldn't really talk to other fathers necessarily about, you know, the, the, the relationship with Alkira because they didn't really understand all the challenges. Uh, so... Yeah, look, um, uh, although I should say you'd be surprised the amount of people that uh, amount of fathers out there do who do have children with disabilities. And um, so, uh, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and I've got to say it is actually really good to come across other fathers with children with disabilities because you do have some common issues to talk about. So I actually really do enjoy that. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely um, as you're saying, challenging. But you grow with it, don't you, as well? You do. Um, as parents with um, you know, a child with a disability, um, advocating for your child is a big part of what you do, um, and you touch on this in your book as well, um, with you and uh, Mandy um, advocating on behalf of Alkira to help her reach her potential. Have you any tips on where to start and how to do it effectively for fathers who are listening to this podcast who have a child with a disability? Yeah. Well, obviously, it'll be different for everyone and that it can be incredibly draining. But I think you also need to be, you, while you need to be an advocate and you need to stand up for your child and do the best, you also got to be careful not to necessarily be unrealistic and what I mean by that, you know, there are, and it'll depend on the severity of the um, of the diagnosis and disability. There will be some things that will not be possible, just will not be possible. But I, I think you've got to have uh, what what I tell people is to try and work out what you really want for your child, and uh, make sure that you approach things in a in a rational. Uh, level-headed manner but at times you might have to of course let the passion run right and uh, and uh, be a bit more forceful but 
the thing is just perseverance. You just have to keep persevering because there will be knockbacks and you can give up at any time. But um, um, but the number one thing, obviously, is just to love your child. And if you love your child, those things will become a bit more natural to advocate for your child. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in your book, uh, you also tell the story of resilience and determination. Um, is this something you've tried to instill from a young age in all of your children? Yeah, look, uh, it's an interesting question because there's always an argument with my generation and uh, the next generation of parents is that whether we are actually not allowing our children to build resilience because we don't want our children to be hurt at all and everyone has to succeed. Uh, I know when I was growing up, that wasn't so much the case. So I think that's a challenge full stop. And whether you have a child with disability or not is to build this sense of resilience in your in your children, and um, that will mean that they're going to have some disappointments, and they're going to have to overcome those disappointments. So you can't always shield them from failure. Yeah, we talk um, about resilience a lot at the Fathering Project and the, a father's role in this because often a father actually has a bigger role sometimes in building that resilience because they present the child with um, a reality of the world out there rather than just a nurturing, positive view, which is not always realistic. Well, that's right. And, um, I mean, when I go and speak at schools and that, I always harp on the need to persevere and have resilience uh, because I think it's one of the main attributes to getting forward in society. So for a father, I think a father's got to have resilience and um, and it, it's great to try and install that in your children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we all need resilience. Um, you have a pretty demanding job, Tony, <laughs> uh, a big portfolio. How did you manage um, the balance of working um, while you were parenting a child with additional needs yeah. and two other children, of course. Yeah, look, I mean, I've only been a minister since um, uh, earlier this year and I've been a member of parliament since uh, uh, 2010. I am very fortunate because prior to that, I was a legal academic in a university where I had a greater flexibility in my work, work uh, practices. So I have been fortunate to be able to be very, very engaged with my children. But look, it's a matter of priorities. Even obviously, with my job now, the kids, the, the children are older, so it's, it's different anyway. But um, it's a constant battle. You, you've just got to um, try and find out. Uh, you've got to find room in your in your daily schedule. And um, obviously, you know, it might be hard to uh, move the work aspect, but maybe the, the other aspects of your life. Uh, the first priority, obviously, will be finding time for your children and, um, you know, see what happens after that. Yes. We talk a lot about the importance of work-life balance also at the Fathering yeah. Project and um, making time for family and quality time as well. What's something right. you do as a family um, together that prioritises that quality time? Yeah. Well, it, look, I mean, obviously... We used to um, travel a fair bit uh, together as a family, and I, I always found that travel time. I always found the time that we were, we were. I mean, we were fortunate. I was able to do quite a few overseas stints as an academic, and I thought the ability to be remove ourselves away from everyone else uh, in, in a different place was the best quality family time we ever had, because. 
I think as a family, the best way to find that quality time is just for whatever, if it's an hour a week or two hours a week, it's just that you remove yourself from anyone else and you just sit down or you go and do things together. So our priority as a family is to try and see how many gatherings we could have as a, as a whole unit now. Obviously, the children are older, one doesn't live at home anymore, so that's more difficult. But growing up, I think the time, I, I personally think, and I don't necessarily practice it now, the most important thing, if you can work it out, is that you the evening meal is done as a family. I know growing up for myself, uh, the evening meal was a, as a family. Now, I, I, I will not lie and say that we uh, have conformed to that uh, in my family now over the years, but whenever possible, even if it's only once a week, but if possible, if you could do it every night, it would be great. But at least you have to find at least once a week to all sit down as a family over a meal. Yes, um, so much lovely talking over lovely food is is great. Tony, the podcast. As I say, if you, sorry. Go, no, go ahead, please. Uh, the saying that we used to use in my family, you know, I came from an Italian background, if you eat together, you stay together. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, this podcast is going to be shared with fathers and father figures across Australia uh, who are caring for children with additional needs. If you could share one piece of advice for these dads, what would it be? Is that uh, if I could share one piece of advice is that to uh, love your child as you would love any child and uh, don't harp too much on the negativity and just do whatever you can to ensure that the capacities of your child, whatever the severity of your, their disability, they all have a capacity and to ensure that their capacity blossoms to its full extent. Fantastic. Love your child. That's the best thing, best advice. Um, Tony Booty, it's been a pleasure to have you join us on our podcast today. You've been a fantastic guest and what a privilege it has been to hear more about you, your beautiful daughter, Alkiria, and your family's journey over the last 28 years. You've certainly inspired me and I know all the dads listening will feel the same. Listeners, we encourage you to check out Minister Booty's book, Alkira. The link will be up on the Fathering channel. Tony, once again, thank you for joining us and we hope to have you back again soon. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Good fun.